Howdy, howdy, do who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And this is episode 304, take two. Yes. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire. Yeah. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. And not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes. And it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, 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 Who fans. Welcome back to another week. Good to have you all here. Hope you're keeping safe and well. And that you've had a cracking week, really. Now, if you all managed to do something Doctor Who related, related. <laughs> here we are again, three oh four for the second I like, time. I feel like we're in a time loop. I feel like I can't remember which episode it is. The one where the fourth Doctor gets sort of stuck in a stuck in a time loop and he keeps tripping over. Remember that? Oh yeah, he's going round yeah. on the loop and tripping. And getting, oh, that's what I feel like. Yeah, it feels like we're wandering the endless corridors and rooms of the TARDIS, coming mm. back to the same bit. Yeah, yeah. Apologies, Who fans, for last week. I'm not going to say it was our fault. It literally was a technical um, technical issue. It's the first time as well. This bit of kits let me down as well. Gutted. I wonder if Dalek Tat popped in just to cause a bit of mischief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he heard me. He, he might have heard me bad mouthing him on the on the live stream at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. thought, right, I'll get you. Exactly that. He probably thought, right, I'll sort you out. <laughs> Don't worry about that. So, yeah, apologies, Who fans, for last week. It was a bit annoying, to say the least. But there we go. These things happen. There are worse things in the world that, that's happening right now and, and stuff. So here we are again. So what we're not going to do this week is go through in details. So when we recorded last week, we spoke about the Doctor Who Funko Pop Blitz sort of pack that was in that game. We spoke about that, and then we spoke about Mark Gattis coming back potentially to Doctor Who. He hinted a little bit, a bit of a return, and and uh, and things like that. So that's old news now. So we're not going to go into that in too much detail. But 
yeah, we spoke about those things um, last week, but very quickly did. Uh, it might not be a bad thing if Mark Gattis comes back, a bit of old of old blood coming back to do a bit of writing. No, I, 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 I was saying, I think he, I, I quite like Mark Gattis, or Gattis, whichever it is. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think he, he kind of, because he's a bit of a Dot 2 fan, he kind of gets the show and um, he, I, he's written some good novels and I think his TV episodes... You know, they're a bit Marmite. Um, on the whole, they've been good. Uh, the thing that sticks out in my mind that we recorded last week, which is obviously now lost in the ether, was that um, we were all for it, and then we were just about to move on from that story when I suddenly remembered that he wrote Sleep No More. Mm. And then we were like, no, we must <laughs> never come back ever again. <laughs> but yeah. we were joking, because he, he has done some good stuff, hasn't he? I mean, Adventure in Space of Time is one of my favourite things ever. You know, I, I love that drama. It's beautiful so uh, yeah i'd be happy to see mark back doing a story yeah indeedy yeah i think we concluded that it's a bit hit and miss yeah the stuff that he's done so far but it would be good to come back and we also said that because um he, he mentioned in one of his interviews didn't he about writing uh writing um a story uh one of those short stories i think for jody's doctor and he was saying that he didn't have to go back and watch loads of Jodie. He just knew how she sounded in his head and just wrote the story. And that prompted him to think, well, I'd love to come back, actually. Now I've kind of got back into Who a little bit um, and writing for it. It'd be cool to come back and write for Jodie's Doctor. And we concluded that he's probably missed the boat, hasn't he? Because if rumours are to be true, she's going to be out of here soon anyway. So you've missed it, mate. You've missed the boat. There we go. Yeah. I, I can't actually. I can see him. I think he'd write Jodie quite well, actually. Possibly, I can imagine because he's got that quirky sort of sense of humour. He? I think he might do a good job of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking to Jodie, uh, been a lot of fil- filming pictures uh, floating around the last few days. Uh, mm. Filming in Liverpool. Um, we haven't seen them out and about filming for a while, have we? It all gone a bit quiet. So it's nice to see. Um, I mean, there's nothing really spoilery, so don't, I don't think I'm gonna ruin anything for everyone it was just you know john bishop and the tardis jody and mandip on the liverpool dock mm. filming some stuff and it uh, yeah it's just nice to see them out and about filming and you know there was quite a buzz around it so it's created a little bit of interest again which is nice like twitter was just full of people filming it and stuff so yeah it was cool yeah. i saw a little clip that a couple of people have put on there of um i think it was the bish it was outside the tardis and they were filming him looking very pensive up at the TARDIS and then walking slowly mm. towards it and stuff. And it, it's really cool. It's it, it it's those little nuggets that we need to kind of keep us um, going. It's just a shame that the BBC doesn't do any... Uh, and I know you guys are probably rolling your eyes like, here we go, Gary's, you know, bashing the BBC. I'm trying really hard not to, but it'd be really cool if the Beeb did like a little behind-the-scenes, uh, bring the confidential back a little bit and have a little bit of... Yeah. Because... They put a clip out again on there on the official Doctor Who YouTube channel. I think it was last night or the night before. And all they're doing is just recycling old clips from old episodes. And that channel is serving absolutely no purpose at all at the minute. The only useful thing that that channel is doing is giving us the trailers for the Blu-ray collections when they, yeah. when they come <laughs> up every, what, five, six months now. It's really not serving any purpose to, um, to Who fans. They're just popping old clips on there so why not make use of that why not have somebody on location and doing obviously a non-spoilery just little clip of all it all it had to do all it had to be was an official little clip of john bishop out filming and a, a little view of the tardis 30 second video you know that would have been amazing that would have been so Ooh. cool but 
it's a shame that they don't do that that stuff anymore but but it was yeah, cool, I miss though. confidential yeah. yeah i used to love that yeah. yeah you're right it could be anything couldn't it? it would just be enough just to say, just to let us know that it's still the ball's still rolling basically yeah um, yeah yeah it could be anything because there's a lot of people who were watching the filming that have put clips up on youtube now so you've got all this sort of grainy footage of what you know you could have a nice little official little clip you know but yeah yeah i mean i hear you in, in one way though the bbc are not stupid as we know because even if somebody was to be given that job like you're you know as doing the media side of things for online we want you to put this 30 second youtube clip on although it's only a 30 second clip they have to pay somebody or somebody's time to actually do that whereas mm-hmm. if fans do it and it goes viral and it's over on social and everything they've got that for free so in a way yeah, they're not true. silly you know it's that i can see that but come on you know it's if if massive companies and brands like marvel disney and stuff can do it then I'm pretty sure the BBC can have a pop. But. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I suppose the YouTubers are doing doing the work uh, for them in a way, which is fine. I mean, the one thing I will say about the filming picks, uh, as I say, it wasn't much to sort of, no sort of spoilers or anything there, which is good. But um, there was a couple of photos, close-up photos of Jodie, and uh, I've never seen her smiling so much. She looks like she's having an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. She really, I don't know if she's just really comfortable in the role or she's just really enjoying the new dynamic or she's but she was i've never seen jody so smiley she looks like she's loving it and it might just be because i think didn't they have some <laughs> they had some guy who run past in his red speedos and nothing else which caused a bit of a <laughs> smile on set it was just a random jogger in his speedos which maybe i don't know maybe it was just a fun night and they were having a good time filming and a few things happened and oh i think someone put the inside of the you know, they have a backdrop of the TARDIS console in the TARDIS prop, like mm-hmm. a picture. Um, someone had put that in the wrong way, so it was upside down. So maybe it's just one of those nights where they were like, oh, man, what is going on today? And But the filming pics just look like they're having a lot of fun. They do. Yeah, which is a good sign. Yeah. You'd hate for those to be to be circulating and they all look miserable. That would be good. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. That wouldn't yeah, be good. You don't want that. No. Yeah. So... We haven't really got any other news to talk. We were going to talk about those filming pics and so on, but I've had a scour around the internet and there isn't really much else going on in the world of Doctor Who. The only one tiny little nugget, I guess, just to pick up on is over the last week, there has been some chatter around Catherine Tate coming back on the show. Mm-hmm. There was, a, <clears throat> as we know, as we've just mentioned with those filming clips and, and pictures and so on, they are in Liverpool, or they were in Liverpool, at the minute and Catherine Tate was in Liverpool and Catherine Tate, I think she said on some interview or she mentioned to somebody that she was in Liverpool working on a top secret project that she wasn't allowed <laughs> to talk about. And so fans being fans have put two and two together and come up with 65 and, and all of a sudden Catherine Tate's back in the show and that's how these things start. But I think her publicist or agent, somebody has said, nope, she's not involved in Doctor Who. She is in Liverpool doing something, but it's not Doctor Who. Mm. Or no, she was in Liverpool, but she wasn't there when they were filming the, those TARDIS scenes, something like that. So a little bit of a debunk there. Catherine Tate is not coming back to the show. I must admit, I did get excited when I heard this rumours because I, I just love Donna. And I could I sort of could have picture her with the 13th Doctor and all that. I thought, oh, it could work. But then... Oh, it pains me to say this because I would love to see Donna return. But I kind of feel like her story got wrapped up 
you know, quite well. And I think, I don't know, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to ruin that, but I, I would love to see her back, but yeah. I don't know. Part of me feels like, no, nah, leave it. It's, it's kind of done and not sure, but I, I would be happy if she was in it, but no, I don't think it's true. I don't think she is. I don't think so. And you have to be no. careful with that stuff, don't we? We have to, uh, if somebody's story has been really nicely capped off and it's quite a satisfying end to their story arc, you don't want to regurgitate that. And I guess it could work if it was done well, but for the most part, mm. especially someone like Donna, who was in it a lot back in the RTD era. era. So, uh, yeah. However, it, it did- cheeky little cameo. Wouldn't mind that. Yeah, a little cameo. I was going to say, it did start some quite fun little um, things on Twitter, though. People were, like, you know, using that and coming up with stuff like uh, John Barrowman spotted in Liverpool co-op, it confirmed for Series 13 and, and things like that, which is quite good fun, like, coming up with different stuff. But, now nah, I can't see it, unfortunately. <laughs> nah, nah. Not with the old chib monster, anyway. I can't no, see that happening. chib no. monster. <laughs> right, yeah, let's, let's crack on. Let's go back to... Let's go back to our review of of the Daleks and so on um, and see if we can remember, because I haven't watched it again (laughs) since we did our review. So I'm going to have to try and um, make sure the brain cells are firing on all cylinders this morning. But have you watched it again or any of it? No, no, I haven't because it's like seven (laughs) parts. And I thought it's still fairly fresh in my mind, to be fair. And I've got my scribbled notes. So I reckon I'm good. I think I can remember what we talked about. (laughs) Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I think I'm cool. Okay, so before we get on to that stuff then, a reminder as always that you can listen to this show for free in whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on. Just do a search for the Big Blue Box podcast, you'll find us on there. We'd love to have you as a follower on anything like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, all of those things. That way you won't miss a show when it lands every Friday. We are on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, and we also have a free Discord server. And there are links to all of those things over on the website, which is www.com bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk also on the website you can read all of the awesome reviews and articles that our writing team put up and uh, we had a busy week we have a busy week sorry this week um we have mark who's reviewing the stranded box set from big finish Mm. those parts are going out each day which is very cool Uh, we have a review from jordan on something else which i can't remember that's coming up this week but check it out and we also have another article from mark which is titled The Empty Children, Growing Up as a Doctor Who Fan in an Age of Scarcity, which is a really, really good read. So um, so go and go and have a read of that. And uh, yeah, The Whiz Kid from The Greatest Show in the Galaxy features quite heavily in that article. So uh, to go and check that out, it's all good. Was was Jordan's, um, his pitch for A Charitable Earth, or was that the, the he did a, a cool thing about that, didn't he? My pitch for Charitable Earth, or was that last week? Uh, sure. Well... I'm very glad you've mentioned that, dude, because that was the thing. That is the thing that's coming from Jordan. So he's already done series one. He's now on to series two, believe it or not. Cool. So those articles by Jordan are really good. He basically puts himself in the shoes of showrunner or he's applying for the job of showrunner. And if he was to go to the BBC with a pitch to say, this is what this thing would be in my head. And it's really cool. I think he's done a couple of them already um, just for the main Doctor Who show. But the the charitable earth one is really good and this version two series two also looks really cool so yeah go and check all that stuff out right dude what we got unsurprisingly what have we got for review this week (laughs) yeah so we're going back to well very near the beginning with the first well the second story in series one called the daleks (laughs) 
The planet is dead. Totally dead. Whatever it was destroyed everything that was living. Over 500 years ago, there were two races on this planet. We are the survivors of a final war. The Daleks and the Thars. I don't get the fluid link back before four of us will die. Daleks! The Thal people wish to live in peace. Let us work together to rebuild our world. No! It's a trap! Get out of here! Run! They are to be exterminated! This senseless, evil killing! Ah! Help me! Stop me! Sweet trailer. trailer. Yeah, sweet trailer, mm. that one. Yeah. Right, the Daleks then. It was first broadcast back on the 1st of February, 1964. No, it wasn't. I made that mistake last time. It was first broadcast <laughs> on the 21st of December, 1963, and finished up with part seven on the 1st of February, 1964. There we go. It was directed by Christopher Barry and Richard Martin, written by Terry Nation, and um, stars uh, William Hartnell as the Doctor, Caroline Ford, Jacqueline Hill, and Will Russell, with a fairly sizable supporting cast. And the synopsis for this one is: the TARDIS has brought the travellers to the planet Scaro, where they meet two indigenous races, the Daleks, malicious mutant creatures encased in armoured travel machines, and the Thals, beautiful humanoids with pacifist principles. They convince the Thals of the need to fight for their own survival. So joining forces with them and braving Scaro's many dangers, they launch a two-pronged attack on the Dalek city, the Daleks are all killed when, during the course of the fighting, their power supply is all cut off. Mm-hmm. Right then, bud. Let us know. Top line thoughts, the Daleks. The Daleks, yeah. Um, it's a bit of a classic, this one, isn't it, really? I mean, as I said, really early days in the show. Um, but it's not one I watch very often. I, it's, it's, I haven't actually watched this for, well... I can't remember the last time I actually put it on until we obviously came to review it and I'd given it a watch. And I think the reason for that is because it's seven parts. It always puts me off. So, um, but watching it again, giving it a rewatch, it is actually a really good story. And um, I appreciated it a lot more, I think, uh, on this rewatch. Um, I think most people would agree it's about two episodes too long. And I think that's what puts me off uh, watching it more than I do because it's, rocking and rolling for the first four parts you know it's a really good story and then episodes five and six are just pure padding they really don't need to be there and then cut to episode seven it all gets wrapped up really well so it's a good story it's just i think most people would agree it's just two episodes too long um nothing really happens in those episodes either it's just like a guy trying to climb down a rock uh, down a cliff for one episode and um, the other one, I can't even remember anything that happens in it. Uh, someone goes in a, in a swamp, I think, meets a swamp creature. But apart from that, nothing happens in those other two episodes. But as I said, episodes one to four, brilliant stuff. You know, the TARDIS team, really early days. You can see the the characters getting to know each other. The, you know, Barbara and Ian are still really wary of Hartnell's Doctor because they haven't, they don't know what he's like. And 
he is quite, you know, unpredictable or mischievous. I mean, I would be nervous traveling with him, uh, to be honest, because, you know, you never know what he's going to do. He might electrocute you on the console or he might take you to the TARDIS food machine. He's just, he's, you know, switches like the wind. Arnold Stock, you just never know what's going to happen next. And um, that's what I love about him, actually. He's just so unpredictable. <laughs> so it's really nice to see that, you know, the relationships grow, um, especially throughout this story, because they have to work together as a team in this story. And it really brings the, this TARDIS crew together. So they, you know, you know, they get radiation sickness, something Terry Nation loves to do. Um, and they manage to sort that out. They defeat the Daleks. And, you know, as I said, they really grow as a, as a team in this story. So it is quite important in many, many ways, uh, not just the introduction of the Daleks, which have, you know, come on to become an absolute phenomenon. phenomenon. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's a good story, and I, I do rate it as a bit of a classic. It's, uh, it's a shame about the fact it's, you know, got those two episodes. It's just a bit too long. It would have been an absolutely cracking four-parter, uh, even a six-parter at a stretch, but seven, it's just a bit too long. But uh, still a really good story. I still really, really like it, and, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this rewatch of it. Oh, nice, man. Nice. Over to you. Yeah. So I think that's a real common thing. And I think a lot of our reviewers said similar things about the number of episodes in this story. Yeah. And I think even though, even though these episodes are obviously not, not designed to be, um, to be binge watched all in one go. And I can't remember which version, which way round you did it. I did it with the first four and then I did three. So four and three. I think you did it. Three, oh, two, I did and it, two. I did it the other way. I did it three and then four. Three and four. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, even though they're not designed for that, I think even back then, when you got through these week by week, when you got onto got to episode six, I think that even then you would have been a a bit tired, and just really wanting the story to wrap up at that point. So I completely agree, mate. It's a real, uh, just. I wouldn't say that. The, the story suffers too much from it because if you're really into the story, there's a couple of little nuggets within those episodes, but overall you could really just do without those um, episodes uh, five and six. They're, they're, they are a little bit filler. There's a couple of little scenes here and there, but otherwise, I mean, I think it's episode five or six. I can't remember which one where the, the crux of the story is a bunch of dudes making their way to the Dalek city. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. There's really not much six. else. Yeah. yeah going just on. wandering through yeah. uh, rocks and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've got, um, you've got, uh, Ian and Barbara with a, a few more thals. They're making their way through the deadly swamp that the thals have only been to once or twice. And they got, got their ass kicked when they were there, <laughs> but they're making their way through the swamp and then they find a, a route through the, through the caves and and stuff like that, and uh, and it's just really slowly, it just plods along at such a pace where you're almost like, oh come on, Cause, yeah, because it's <laughs> it, it's kind of confusing those scenes, especially the ones that the one that you mentioned earlier where they're in the cave and the only way to progress through this route is to jump over quite a deep chasm, and so Ian does it, and but the the way that's been directed. It's kind of confusing because for the most part, I think Christopher Barry and Richard Martin did a fairly decent job when there's like a big 
a big conversational scene going on or there's a bit of action or something like that is actually done pretty well but some for some reason those scenes which were i guess meant to be suspenseful like will he make it over the chasm will he not if he does make it and he clings onto the edge is he going to be is he going to slip down and all that stuff <laughs> but it's just directed to look and feel so boring it's like the way that these scenes go they seem to go on forever and um and nothing really happens the 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 only good bit about i guess it's not good for uh, one of the characters but he meets his untimely doom but in a comical way the way that he tries to jump across the chasm is just you know they they could have just had that bit you know and gone back to the daleks and had some cool stuff there but it's very weird the way that those scenes were directed because yeah there's just no suspense there it's just a real boring you would have thought that they would have thought about this at the time and gone right we we're aware that this is a little bit long we're drawing this out a bit let's make it you know let's put some action there let's get some energy going but no it's very um so anyone that's yeah anyone that's not seen the daleks uh if you're completely fresh to it then just for a purist's from a purist's point of view then obviously don't skip but if you if your finger was to accidentally go past especially episode five actually no episode six the you wouldn't the story wouldn't suffer as a result you'd still get a good a good experience but yeah dude yeah. i agree it's a bit filler well it's definitely filler and a bit paddy uh towards the last act in those two episodes but otherwise a really good really good story otherwise and i thought that because Adam and I had two options when we came to recording this week. We could re-record this review, which we're ultimately doing, or we could just very quickly mention our scores that we gave it and then crack on with our next review. But I felt like, and Adam agreed, I felt like this story is a really important one because it's very different to the pilot and an unearthly child in, in respect that it sets up that classic formula that, all pretty much all of classic who adhered to from this point on and even modern doctor who and lots of stories still follow this very very same formula where the tardis arrives on a on a planet of some sort in this case unbeknownst to people back in the 60s scaro and the daleks would be this hugely popular thing but at the time it was just this random planet the the doctor arrives with the companions on this planet to do something completely you know um, innocent or meaningless, whatever, but they end up getting drawn into this conflict that's happening. Um, that's on uh, on that in that location at the time, and then uh, they have to save the day, and on they go. So that's a formula that's been sort of set in stone and, and referenced loads of times. So we thought it was an important story to go back and review. So yeah, overall, dude, a thumbs up. Really like this one, apart from the padding. Yeah, yeah. Now I think you're right. I mean, when when last week's show you know, when the file got corrupted and lost um, and we were trying to decide whether to re-record this review or or uh, just do like a five-minute recap, um, I think it's right to... It is an important story. I think it's right to properly review this one because it's something, you know, that the Daleks get a lot of credit for, like... Um, I think this is the story that gets credit for capturing the public's imagination with Doctor Who. Like, I think An Earthly Child... You know, there's a bit of curiosity there, but something about the Daleks. I mean, they have become as well-known, if not more well-known than the Doctor and the TARDIS themselves. Everybody knows what a Dalek is. They are just, you know, huge. The Terry Nation estate and all this sort of thing. 
So this story is important because I think, I think without it, I don't know that the show would still be rocking and rolling 60 years later because um, this is such early days. This is the first series of Doctor Who. They're finding their feet. It probably, they probably didn't imagine it would last more than a series or two at the most. And they never could have imagined that it would still be going to this day. And I think the, Daleks are an important factor in the fact that it is it's something about them the public just loved and I I can't remember the exact story but I think it was something like this they'd filmed it and it, the first episode went out and I think it was Verity Lambert was on the bus to to work to the BBC when she heard the kids on the bus impersonating the Daleks and she thought oh wow you know they they love it we, we've hit on something here you know, and they just have gone on to become just such a phenomenon. So yeah, so it is an important story, and um, and it does stand does stand up fairly well. I mean, I think the the actual storyline is, itself is is good. You know, I love the fact that they arrive on this planet. Hartnell tricks them into going to the city, which I love by pretending he needs this mercury. And <laughs> he's so mischievous, Hartnell. Cheeky. Um, and then, yeah, he's cheeky. And then I love the fact that the twist is that just as they're about to leave the Thals, I'll let them get on with it. They realise that they actually do need to go back to the city, so they've got no choice but to help them stay and, and uh, defeat the Daleks. So it's a good, you know, it does have its little twists and turns. As I said, I think the first four episodes are great. I love all the stuff in the Dalek city where they're trying to overpower the Daleks and the Daleks are quite ruthless, you know, where they're quite threatening for the time. You know, they, you, they feel like they mean business. Like you, you wouldn't mess with them. They shoot poor old Ian and, you know, he can't walk and stuff. And they're, you know, they've got uh, Susan. So I was going to say, probably got Susan and they're getting her to write that note. And, you know, they're quite threatening in this Daleks, even though they can't leave the city. It's quite a different, sort of Daleks that we're seeing here. They, you know, they're not flying around upstairs shooting people. They're trapped <laughs> in this city, which in a way makes them even more scary because they're almost like in an asylum, aren't they, going crazy. Mm. You, just, they just, you just don't know what they're going to do because they're desperate. So, yeah, it is an important story, and, uh, and, and um, it's pretty entertaining for the most part, I have to say. I, I <laughs> was really into actually what was going on on screen. Yeah. No, I agree, mate. And uh, in terms of being a very early classic of Doctor Who, it's um, it's really good to see them off on the right foot with this one. As we've reviewed other William Hartnell stories and even Troughton stories back in that that early black and white era of Doctor Who, we've actually seen worse produced stories, in my opinion. There have been William, other William Hartnell stories where he's fluffed his lines a lot more. I can only remember, what, two? Two or three fluffs in this throughout the whole seven parts. And one of them was a big fluff, let's not, let's be honest. It, but Is that the radiation? Did he say radiation gloves? Gloves, yeah. Drugs. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Yeah. So there are other stories where he's fluffing lines, you know, two or three times each episode rather than across the, you know, the entire story. And when you think about the production as well, again, other stories – you see Mike cables running around the TARDIS. You see the mic come into frame quite a lot, and it's a bit clumsy and stuff like that. Whereas this one, they it felt like they they really really went for it. They had to go for it, and uh, it, like we said about setting up the formula for the concept and the story and stuff like that, 
I felt like it was also a good a good thing for the production crew as well to because there are so many parts to it. They they really sort of cut their teeth, if you like, on doing all of these different things. So we have the there's a lot of props going on. So obviously the Daleks themselves they had to be designed and built, which we'll we'll, we'll talk about in a, in a little while about not just Terry Nation but the other dude that was important for the design of the Daleks and stuff. So you had all these things and it was real life proper sets and the TARDIS interior and the console and stuff, of course, carried over from the initial stuff from an unearthly child, but uh, just more, more going on and more actors and stuff like that. So it was, uh, yeah, I I thought other than those padding, those padded scenes and stuff like that with the Ian just laying on the edge of the chasm for, seven and a half minutes just looking (laughs) pensive for a while other than that some of these some of it was really well done and you could tell that and let's try and rewind time and put ourselves in the in the shoes of people back in 1963 and 64 seeing the model dalek city must have looked awesome seeing the the tardis materialize and and all of that jazz it's uh it must have been a real spectacle to watch back then in the age of television back then some of the stuff that they were doing and there's some really cool things with camera angles as well isn't there there's the bit where i think it's the cliffhanger to episode one where the daleks approaching on Ooh. on barbara and the camera angle is obviously the eye stalk of the dalek and she's going nuts and i thought it was his plunger I'm was it sure. plunger? i can't remember yeah. yeah yeah something like that yeah and then uh the the doctor accidentally or seemingly breaking the fourth wall um i think it's in episode six some other bits like that it would have been amazing to watch wouldn't it back in the 60s not knowing what we know now about doctor who it must have been awesome watching it back then it's one of the things i'd love to do you know it's like i was trying to imagine because i as much as i love the daleks while i was watching this i was thinking well what is it about them that that have, you know, have made them become so successful. Like, you look at the design, they're quite bulky. they got this big old bug eye, which, you know, apparently the producer hated at the time. And they've got a sink plunger as a weapon. I mean, what is it about the Daleks that, that caught the public's imagination? It's, it's hard to sort of fathom it looking back now, but I would love to have been a viewer back then because I guess, you know, it's much simpler times. They must have looked really otherworldly. And I think... The voice, I think you mentioned this the, the first time we recorded the, re- the review, the voice of the Daleks, I think, is quite important because it is quite terrifying, isn't it? It's, it is very, very <laughs> otherworldly, if you like. So, yeah, I'd love to have been somebody back then that, that was watching this for the first time because I remember when I bought the VHS of it and I knew that this cliffhanger to episode one was quite famous, like this shot of the, the Dalek coming towards Barbara. You know, I'd heard about it and... People were saying it was, you know, terrifying and, you know, viewers back in the day couldn't wait for the next episode because it was just this because of this cliffhanger. And I remember the first time I watched the VHS thinking, oh, is that it? Because it's just like something, you know, it didn't it just didn't seem like much to me at the time. But I think I appreciate it more now. You know, if you try and sort of take a step back and imagine, you know, simpler times, if you like, that probably was like, what, what is that? What's coming towards it? Oh no, the episode's ended. Oh, I've got to tune in next week to find out, you know, had still hadn't even seen the Dalek at that point. Whereas now we're so used to them. It, it didn't really mean anything to me the first time I watched this, if you know what I mean. It's just like, oh, well, it's a Dalek plunger. What's, 
why is this so famous? You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. But if you go back in time, it must have been quite quite something. I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. Uh, I, just while I remember, you mentioned the Model City, uh, a bit like us having to record this episode of the podcast again. Didn't they have to record the first? Was it just the first episode? They had to re-record it mm-hmm. um, because there was some sort of technical issue. And the reason I mentioned that in relation to the Model City is I think it says in the production notes on the DVD, the Model City looks a lot better in the reshoot. <laughs> apparently. The first Model City, it was a bit rushed and didn't look very good. But when they found out they were going to have to reshoot the first episode, um, they had a bit more time to sort of make it look better and adjust a few other things and improve it. So um, it's quite interesting that our review of this story uh, got lost. <laughs> and and so, they, you know, we have to re-record it. And they had to re-record the first episode of, of this story as well uh, for technical reasons, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think it was something to do with the audio that was coming through from the, the the floor producers headphones or something like that and the mm. the floor mics were picking all picking that audio up so which i didn't realize until obviously the technology wasn't there like we have now you'd pick that thing up those things um you'd pick that up instantly and you'd stop yeah. it and, and go and do it whereas back then obviously it was a, a different ball game altogether it was not until you've gone back and you've gone back and tried to edit it or or whatever you're like what's that weird noise i can hear another vocal track what's that and then yeah so they had to come back and do it so yeah that was really cool for the for the designers because as you said it gave them more time to then go and do a much better looking model have we ever seen any pictures or anything of the original do they they exist anywhere no and not that i've seen because i was thinking the 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 pilot of an earthly child which we was refilmed um you can watch that amazingly they still got that film so you can watch the original version of the pilot on the DVD, or you can watch the transmitted one, Unearthly Child, and um, and see the differences. But uh, sadly, I don't think the Dalek, the original Dalek episode exists. But it would be interesting, wouldn't it, to compare it? Just go back and see, yeah. Yeah, defo. So happy accidents, I guess, yeah. with things like that meant we got much better. And it is a, a pretty cool model. Let's let's be honest. It's um, it looks decent for the time, doesn't it? It's, it's interesting. Yeah. And uh, also in terms of things like that happening, like these quirky things, we also have to be grateful, I guess, that the writers weren't more efficient <laughs> with the show back then, because uh, as we um, as as many of you will know, the the reason why this story was made in the first place, because there literally wasn't any other scripts to work on. And Sidney Newman's quite famous for saying that he really didn't want this serial to be made at this point it was he he didn't want the show to launch with typical he said quote-unquote bug-eyed monsters or robots or anything like that he wanted to try and get away from that with doctor who certainly in the beginning anyway so there was no other choice though it was like we make this or we don't do it (laughs) simple as that this is the only script that we have to be worked on so that's another one of those things where fast forwarding to today all of those things would be done and at least mapped out and planned and story arcs worked on and done. And can you imagine Stephen Moffat not having a story arc to work on and all that (laughs) would be be suicide for him. So cancel the show. Yeah. So it's a, I just, I just love that stuff. I love that at the time it probably would have been a real headache for Sidney Newman because he's probably, he's from what we know from various um, interviews and an adventure in space and time and that, we know that 
the majority of the BBC wasn't really up for this show. He was kind of battling against the mm. old school, um, the old school BBC execs of the time and I trying, like it, yeah. yeah, trying to do something new and fresh. And uh, I think his famous saying was beep and vinegar, wasn't it? To inject mm. into things. And which is why the whole, um, the, the whole reason why when he appointed um, uh, Verity Lambert as producer, it was very controversial and, you know, all that sort of thing. So he, he he was probably really feeling it at the time. Like, oh God, I've really battled to get this show to where it is now that we're actually making it and the cameras are rolling. But now you're telling me that we can't do anything other than the bug-eyed monsters and stuff. He's probably thinking, oh God, what have I done? But mm. then when you look back on it, you think, well, thank God that that was the case. And we had this, this show as, as, as like the second, the second outing for the doctor. So I love stuff like that. At the time, he probably would have been, you know, going nuts but well i think to yeah. quote one of your phrases which i love is the stars aligned didn't they it's just one of those things that mm. yeah it, it it became something much bigger than they could ever imagine um you you mentioned the dalek designs earlier one of the things that was really important to me in our in our lost review was to to talk about ray kuzak um who designed the daleks and it's important because i feel like he gets um overlooked a lot and especially at the time and um, because Terry Nation gets, you know, a lot of the credit, if you say the Daleks, who, who invented the Daleks, Terry Nation. Yes, he wrote the story, but Ray Kuzak designed the look of it, which is as important, if not more, I think. And um, there's that famous clip of Ray Kuzak being interviewed where he says, yeah, Terry Nation turned to me and said, well, Ray, we've made the big time. We're going to make a lot of money out of these Daleks. And I never saw him again because <laughs> Terry Nation went off to America and, and made a lot of money out of the Daleks. And Ray Cusack, I think, got like £100 and that was it. And uh, so I always like to mention Ray Cusack. Um, I think he was very important in in the design of it. I mean, it's it, there's two sides to this. I'm not making Terry Nation out to be any sort of villain or whatever at all because credit where credit's due. And it's just the way things work back then. You know, Ray Cusack was... Um, uh, would you call it a freelancer or designer or I'm not quite sure really, but you know, he was just, it was just the norm. He would get paid a sum for his work and that was it. He had no idea that the Daleks were going to go on to be this, <laughs> you know, amazing big cash cow <laughs> that they became. Um, but it's just the way things work back then. So it's no sort of, um, no, you know, down on, on anyone, but yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge Ray and his work. And I love the fact that in 2005, when they brought the Daleks back, uh, the designers invited Ray Cusack to the, you know, the, the studios in Wales to see the new Dalek design and get his opinion on it. And I, I thought it's really nice that, that they gave him that moment because I think he felt a bit overlooked. You know, it's like Terry Nation's Daleks and Terry Nation getting all the credit, and it's like, well, hang on, I, 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 you know, I did the design, <laughs> so I always give. A mention to Ray Cusack because I, I think he's sort of the forgotten man in the Dalek story a lot of the time anyway and that's not taking anything away from Terry Nation by the way he's you know absolutely great and he did lots of great work as well so not taking anything away from him but important to remember Ray Cusack I think yeah no you're absolutely right dude um, I think Ray was one of those guys that again just fell into this out of um, out of uh, luck more than anything um, mm. so Famous film director Ridley Scott, way back, way, way back when he was a, a young, a young, a young'un, 
uh, was originally going to be the the designer on this program. But there was a problem with the schedule. We couldn't do it. And so they looked to Ray and said, look, you're going to pop in and do this or what? He was like, yeah, cool, cool. So then his first task was was coming up with the look and the feel and the how they would look visually on film, on TV. So they had Terry Nations, obviously, uh, his thoughts and his design and, and his script and all that stuff in his head and on paper, but it was down to Ray to actually flesh these things out into 3D space and, and make them what we are, what we, what we see today. So, um, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. We can't forget, can't forget old Ray and it's a shame he's no longer with us, but we can't, we can't forget how important he is because, uh, like you said, Terry Nation, we're not making him out to be any sort of villain or anything like that, but his name is just so synonymous with the Daleks. Whenever you talk about Mm -hmm. them, people just automatically go, yeah, Terry Nation, Terry Nation. So yeah, old Ray Cusick, he's one of those guys where without him, and I, um, I, I often men- I often talk about this in the same, exactly the same way as George Lucas and Ralph McQuarrie. So when George Lucas was doing those early ideas and concepts for Star Wars, when he was shopping around the different studios to try and get the movie sold and made, um, he hired Ralph McQuarrie as a designer to actually take what he had in his head had written down and then flesh that out into something that people could visually see and go, ah, right, that's the thing. So it's exact. It's almost the same situation really where we, mm. we needed somebody um, extremely talented like Ray to, to take those thoughts of Terry Nation and actually flesh them out and how they would look. And um, we might as well talk about the Daleks in the, in the story actually, because uh, there's a couple of interesting things that we don't see in today's Daleks from this story. The first one is, and I can't think of another time this happened. It might have happened. I can't remember. But it's one of the very rare times where we see a Dalek attack somebody and not actually kill them. So in episode two, is it, or three, Ian gets zapped by a Dalek and all it does is paralyse him for a little mm. while. He just gets... Uh, Do you know, I not, hadn't really thought about that. It's absolutely true, yeah. Never thought. No, yeah. didn't occur to me at all, yeah. You'd never thought that the Daleks would have a... Yeah, I can't remember oh. another time. There, there could be, there, there could be another story. You know, our memories are not the best, but I can't remember another time where Daleks have opened fire and have not killed somebody intentionally. They, well, in this, they've intentionally just stunned somebody. They didn't want yeah. to kill them. So a bit of a bit of a change there, but the actual look and feel, what's one of the best things that I think you and I really like about this story is that, Throughout the whole time, you never really see what's inside the Dalek mm. armoured casing, do you? They allude to it a little bit. There's that famous scene where you see the little webbed claw coming out from underneath yeah. the cloak, uh, which is kind of cool, which they obviously abandoned when we got to uh, to later stories. They went back and retconned them to be these kind of uh, squiddy, tentacly looking creatures but back then it was meant to have this claw and uh and one of the things that ray came up with actually the actual uh design of the body of the of the dalek they were meant to have these really enormous brains um they were meant to look like these almost froggy toad kind of um squelchy things with ginormous brains and uh which would have looked really funny um, in, in today's Doctor Who. But uh, what's one of the best things that you and I, I think you, you like this as well, is that mm. they made the decision to not show the Dalek on screen. And that really is a great storytelling technique where you rely on the other actors' uh, reactions 
to then help your own brain fill in the gaps of what you think the Dalek would look like. And uh, that that bit where they they launch the mud into the ice stalk and they manage to overrun that Dalek and they take the top off a bit later on and they look inside and Ian Ian Ian's reaction to it is just that look of like I think I'm going to throw up very quickly. You know, it that totally look of, sells it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that look of disgust. And you hear that little gurgling sound as well when he mm. takes the case off. I think him and the doctor do that, right? And then yeah. uh, I think it's either Barbara or Susan start to walk over and they slam the top back down. They're like, no, 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 you don't need to be seeing uh, this kind of thing. And uh, that's that was such a great thing where, like I said, it everyone's image of a Dalek was poss- possibly different to uh, someone else's and... To me, that's really cool. That really, really helped sell the mystery of the Daleks. So, um, yeah. So, for me, the Daleks are pretty cool in this one. There's a little bit more, a little bit more depth that they they took out a little bit later on, as we did other Dalek stories. But mm. certainly, a really interesting first pass, if you like, on the Daleks. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about the mutant inside. Because, yeah, this is the thing. I it may have just been a budget thing. They may just have not had the budget to to make the actual mutant blob so they could only use the claw but just leaving it to your imagination is so much more scarier than actually seeing what probably would have if they had have made it sort of like a rubbery brain on screen it probably wouldn't have sold it half as well as what you're actually picturing is under that cloak and i think you you said it right that uh william russell's reaction when he takes the brain out kind of sells it anyway you kind of he's, he's so disgusted by whatever it is he's you know, taken out of that casing that you're just picturing that it must be gross. So it's, yeah, sometimes I, and I think modern TV could learn a lot from this. Nowadays, they show everything, especially in horror films. They just, horror films are so gory and they, they show you way too much. You know, it's much more frightening and it's much more classy to leave stuff sometimes to the imagination. You know, it's, it just makes it more terrifying. So yeah, absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, defo. And you asked me last week when we recorded that you asked me what what why do you think you said Gary, why do you think the Daleks are so popular? Why did they capture the imagination of yeah. kids at the time and and all that stuff? And I think that's the the crux of it for me is that unlike some other aliens and monsters that we'd seen even in Hartnell's era fairly early on it was the Daleks that for me created the most amount of mystery at the time especially when you have things like the cliffhanger. Can you imagine that the all the chatter that would happen after that cliffhanger with Barbara and that first-person view and whatever yeah. she's seeing coming towards her that we don't see? And then the whole thing where, are we going to get to look inside the case? Nope, that's obviously disgusting, so we won't do that. I think that sort of air of mystery was really helping to just provide a lot of chit-chat around um doctor who fans and especially kids at the time so that that thing you mentioned with verity on the bus and she hears all the kids doing the daleks and stuff i Mm. think that's it all plays into that it's because a lot of the other aliens and monsters you see them like you said they show you them in full view and you get to see them and sometimes that can be cool i guess to a degree but yeah i just think it 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 doesn't provide as much gossip playground chit chat as you know as that sort of thing so so that that was that was the answer to that for me was the the mysterious nature of the Daleks. And also um, there's, there's a couple of depths to them as well, both, both visually that you can see. So you have the outer armored casing, Mm. 
which is a thing. And uh, b- before you you understand or you got to that bit where there's something alive inside them, probably a lot of people thought that they were just robots or yeah, yeah, exactly, you yeah, know, whatever. So when you understand that there's an organic creature inside controlling it, that provides not just a visual depth to the to those as a character, but also what what's going on in the mind of that organic thing because we understand that there's some kind of hierarchy within the daleks at this point obviously that gets expanded on hugely in later especially modern doctor who with the emperor dalek and dalek dalek um um what's the crazy one dalek uh, oh, um, no. sc- uh what's his name you know the crazy one I know, yeah, the one, oh, no, you know, the, the he old flew giggly. into the, top, you know. Yeah. And Davros, obviously. So we, we have all of that kind of hierarchy stuff later on, but there is a bit of that going on. So, yeah, there's just layers to the Daleks that you don't necessarily get with the sort of creature of the week thing where it's just a gurgly, horrible-looking monster, want to take over or kill everybody, and that's it. I think the Daleks have got a bit more, a bit more depth to them. Yeah, I mean, they've got a great backstory in this, haven't they? Which I often forget about, really. You know, you see the Daleks now, and they're just this crazy mutant blob in armoured casing going around killing everything. But there's a good backstory in this. So, you know, again, credit to Terry Nation for the actual storyline, that, you know, that there was these two races at war, and one's become so mutated that they've ended up going inside a shell that can't leave this metal city. And, you know, there's a really good backstory to the Daleks here, which um, they've sort of evolved away from. In the, in the modern era, which you would have to do. You couldn't keep having the Daleks trapped, you know, using electricity like bumper cars like they do in this one. So, but yeah, I really liked that. That's sort of the the origin story of the Daleks in this. Um, I just really had kind of forgotten about all that stuff. I just think of them as the Daleks, not these sort of race of <laughs> that have become mutated blobs over time in a, in a war with, you know, another race. It's a, it's a cool thing. You mentioned Davros as well. And I think we were saying it's, strange to because i love genesis of the daleks and that's you know davros creating the daleks and you know they those daleks feel very different to these daleks and in theory we were saying that would have happened before all of this which is i can't quite get my head around um yeah but it, you know i guess it i guess it works i don't know but because uh, i love the character of davros i just think he's brilliant but you know he's not he's just um not even on the radar, but at this point in the Dalek story, he's not been thought of yet. But yeah, it's weird to think that Genesis supposedly comes before this story. I just it doesn't not sure how that works. But yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a mind melter that one mm, when yeah. you think about it, because there's not much sort of concrete evidence either that the the Doctor and the the companions are in one particular time frame or era it really does epitomize that timey wiminess of the show it's one of those weird things so so in the original script terry nation said that the year is 3000 but that doesn't really mean much in terms of the doctor's time stream or anything like <laughs> Just that sounds very back, yeah back yeah so apparently on scarrow it's the year 3000 and the neutronic war was 2000 years ago but it's never mentioned at any time uh whether that's um whether that particular pocket of time is in the past or the future relative to what we're watching in the you know the doctor's time stream so in the edge of destruction the doctor does say that scarrow was in the future so 
you know, so that's kind of a little, that's a little nugget, I guess, to suggest that, but then that's, that future is relative to other things. It's not just our, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's a bit timey-wimey. Yeah, yeah, no, really say. Stephen Moffat would love it. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the Dalek invasion of earth, he then goes on to say that this encounter that we have now in this story with the Daleks uh, occurred a million years in the future. So is it a million years in the future from the edge of destruction or from what he's saying now, or, you know, it's a, it's a bit timey-wimey, but um, mm. I think, yeah. And there is something to say that at this point in the Daleks evolution, I guess on Scaro, it's a long, long time on from when Davros had created them initially and stuff like that, because yeah. it, it, it alludes to the fact, to the fact that the Thals have already gone through some kind of evolutionary cycle and they're back to, sort of looking like humans, in this case, beautiful humans. Um, but then we have all these other creatures, like the creatures in the swamp and these other, you know, dangerous things that are around. They've all evolved over thousands of years and, and all that and all that stuff. So it, it feels like, and it's kind of generally accepted, I guess, that this is at the very end of the Daleks' life cycle, at least on Scaro anyway. So they've basically had thousands of years of war with the Thals and all that stuff. And the only way for them to see an end, I guess, is to push the button and nuke everything, which is why the first episode is called The Dead Planet. So everything on the planet is currently just nothing's alive. Well, they don't think anything's alive and all of that jazz. So, yeah, it's a real mind melter, that one. But, yeah. I guess just don't think too much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like with, yeah. like with a lot of Doctor Who, just don't think too much. How do you feel about episodes having individual titles? Because uh, this is something that does get phased out um, later on in Doctor Who. But I don't don't know why, but I don't like it. <laughs> I, don't, no. I don't know. I don't know why. I just, I just want it to be called The Daleks. I don't want it to be like episode two of The Daleks, The Survivor. I don't know. Something about it. I don't know. Maybe I do like. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's I just it's weird, isn't it? It gets phased out, and it kind of like because if I'm referring to something, if I turn to you and said, um, "Oh, that episode of Doctor Who, what's it called? The Escape? That's brilliant. That is." You'd be like, "The Escape?" I'd be like, "Yeah, you know, Daleks Part Three, The Escape. Oh, yeah, The Escape. You know, <laughs> it kind of. I don't like the confusion in my mind. It's just like, yeah, I just want to call it the Daleks Part Three. <laughs> yeah, I read you, dude. It's um. Do you know what? I think it's innocently back in the sixties. I think they never, of course, they never would have thought that in sixty years' time people would be talking amongst themselves, asking whether we should name the episodes or not. I think it, in their minds that Doctor Who was probably predicted as being so short-lived that you wouldn't want to sort of start this cataloging and naming convention for all of yeah, your stuff true. you know yeah. back then it was just let's call these things these nice little descriptive titles because also um it would have helped going out weekly so if you've picked up the story in part four for example and uh it would have been a bit confusing if it just said the daleks because yeah, you would have been I, like I well what what part am i on here Oh, okay. It's part four, the ambush. Okay, now it makes sense. I need to, but then again, that would have really miffed you off back in the sixties because uh, how would you have gone back and watched the previous parts? Think about yeah. it. Back there in the sixties, there was no, 
record functionality or anything. Exactly, yeah, just little black and white TVs that went out weekly. So can you imagine that, dude? Can you imagine the OCD? <laughs> like if you'd have tuned in, I like if your mate, yeah, if your mate had said to you, oh, there's this really good story, that's a that really good TV show that's been on for a few weeks now. Doctor Who, it's, you'll like it. You're a sci-fi fan. You'd love it. Um, we're at part five now, the expedition, but just pick it up and see what you think. <laughs> if you watch those final three parts and you loved it, you'd think, oh my God, how am I ever going to see the first four parts of this story? It would have been crazy for OCD. Oh, I would not be able to handle it. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because I'm just, I'm just on Wiki and uh, obviously the next story is The Edge of Destruction, which I always knew was written really quickly and was um, a bit of a filler two-parter. Um, but I've just noticed that the reason it's a filler two-parter, uh, which I quite like, by the way, is because Doctor Who had only been commissioned for 13 weeks. <laughs> so basically, we've got seven episodes here, Daleks, four for the Unearthly Child. And so, yeah, they've got two episodes. We're not sure if we're going to recommission it. So let's ju- you know just quickly write something to fill up those last two episodes and we'll see where we go. So it's, it's, isn't that amazing? Doctor Who, like 13 weeks was all it was commissioned for. And they probably thought that was going to be it. Just, you know, it was just a little daytime show just to kill 25 minutes <laughs> every week. Um, and obviously it did get recommissioned and here it is still going. But that's quite amazing. Isn't it? it is amazing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But to answer your question, I think I prefer the overall title and then you just have parts one, two and three. But yeah, for a quirky little thing like this back in the earlier stuff. Yeah, it doesn't grind the gears that much. No, fair enough. No. <laughs> oh, uh, what do you reckon to the music in this story? Because you were talking about atmosphere earlier. It's quite an atmospheric story, isn't it? And I think um, Tristan, oh, I can never say his name right. Tristan Carey. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I think his music's um, pretty cool in this. It's really weird, and it does add a great atmosphere to the sort of creepy nature of the story. Yeah, Tristram. Tristram. It's got Tristram two R's. Carey. Which yeah. is the... the yeah, Tristram. Uh, dude, this this music gives me the willies, man. <laughs> yeah, it does. not going to lie. It's that I don't know what it is about that um, that particular chord or note. Oh, um, I know exactly. That it's like a zzz, like a, a that. Well, it's that bit, but it's also, it's the, also the deep kind of dum dum. It's, oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like the main theme. You know, every time we cut to the Dalek City in whatever episode. It's got this real deep bassy um, thud, this deep chord, and it's it's like really just yeah. yeah, and it just goes through me, and it really it's really creepy. They so, still use that now, don't they? That sound they do, yeah. It's, well, they to a degree, yeah, but it's really yeah. creepy. Mm. And that's another thing as well with the stars aligning, mate. Um, mate, uh, mate, right. Sydney like Newman didn't didn't like Tristram's music. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was like no, I don't know don't want to use it don't want to use this music and they were like well we've got nothing else boss so it's this or the 13 weeks gets cut short now <laughs> where was dudley was he not waiting in the wings <laughs> <laughs> where was old dudders yeah he would have yeah. Uh, yeah can you imagine if it was um anything else other than this though it just wouldn't have worked it really no, wouldn't it, have worked it, it really suits it yeah yeah it's, and it's it's strange music it's not the sort of thing you're going to put on to chill you know let's put on the dalek soundtrack and relax like you know it's not like that but it's um it definitely works in terms of the story yeah yeah but that's that's another famous um uh, little nugget of sydney newman just saying no i don't like carrie's work 
just don't feel like it's going to work. But then Verity Lambert was like, look, I think uh, Barry, um, the director, Christopher Barry. Uh, Christopher Barry and Verity Lambert were like, look, this is going to work. You have to trust us. Just mm. Let us do our thing. So thank God he did that. Um, but in terms of the story, we've talking about, spoken about the episodes and titles and stuff. What did you think to the the story overall then? Because although it is a Dalek story to a degree, the Thals also have a significant part to play. So the reason why this goes on to what you were saying earlier about the Daleks being a certain way in this episode, the reason why they're stuck in the Dalek city is because of the radiation. Yeah. They've, they've, be, they've become dependent. They can't survive without the radiation and it only exists within the Dalek city. So that's why they're confined there. Whereas the Thals, they've learned to, to adapt to it and evolve, but I think they still need medication to a degree which is why the doctor sends or Ian sends um, Susan back to get the medication to bring back to, um, to the Dalek city in one of the episodes. But there's the actual story itself is pretty cool. Like the, the warring factions, the Daleks mm. are at war with the Thals. And now they've, the, the Thals have almost got to a point where food's a bit scarce. You know, things are not a hundred percent amazing for them and they just want peace. Really. They just want to, Everybody just wants to get along, um, whereas yeah. the Daleks, you know, they're a bit more sinister. But so there's that there's that um, episode, isn't there, where they uh, they trap the Thals into offering them food and stuff like that. And uh, the ambush that was the episode four when they turn up to get the food and the Daleks just wipe, you know, kill the leader. What was mm. the leader's name? We're going to be rubbish at this bit. I think it was. I was going to say one thing. I'm not going to remember is sole names. Temesis. I think it was Temesis, <laughs> the original yeah. leader, and. Uh, and yeah, but the Thals, they play a significant role, dude. So what do you, what do you think to the Thals? Because there's a few characters, aren't there, that we get to see? Yeah, they're, they're all, I mean, they're very well-spoken, aren't they? It's very, <laughs> they're very much of the time. Very, very, uh, very British, the Thals. Um, no, I, I think they work better. And it's weird because in my head, I remember them being really cheesy and awful, but I think I'm confusing them slightly with the very garish Thals we get in the cushion TV you know, the cushion movie, which I do love, but the Thals in that are just a bit, oh. Whereas in this, that they are uh, a bit twee, but they're, they're quite good. I mean, there's a bit, there's some good interaction between the characters. There's a little bit of a spark between Barbara and one of the Thals I noticed. Mm. It's quite subtle, but there's definitely a little, he's like, you know, do you always do what Ian tells you? He's, you know, he's definitely got his eye on Barbara, and I think she's maybe, you know, likes him back. So that was quite cool. And also that was, Susan. That was yes. Ganatus. Ganatus takes a bit yeah. of a liking to uh, mm. to our barbs. Yeah. And Susan seems to like one of them as well. Uh, so, you know, yeah, they are quite a, a good race, uh, quite handsome. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they weren't too bad, actually. They're not, because sometimes when you get a race in Doctor Who like that, and you know, they can be very bland and boring and you don't really care about them. But I, I, I cared enough for them not to be wiped out by the Daleks, if you like. Yeah, no, I read you. Not too bad, yeah. Yeah. And the crux of the story really is uh, the, the, the Doctor and the companions, they get they felt like they needed to help the Thals to a degree. We have that mm. good scene, don't we, where I think it's um I think it's the Doctor and Barbara that are like, Look, you guys need to fight. You guys need to fight back against the Daleks if you ever want a chance of regaining some kind of decent life and you know get all your food sources sorted out and all that stuff and then you've yeah. got barbara uh, sorry and you've got ian and susan that are just like we want to get the heck out of here 
Mm. So let them do what, whatever decision they want to make. Let them make it. We're off. And um, so there's that that showdown, isn't there? And uh, uh, Ian gets a right-hander from one of them because he sort of goads him into uh, into that stuff. So it's a bit yeah. of a a bit of a turnaround in the story at that point. And then from, from that point on, it's all about, right, we have to get to the Dalek city. Then we have those padding episodes where they're making their way through the swamps and they camp out and making their way through the caves and the whole chasm jump and, and all that. Now, maybe I should have watched this again because one of the things I wasn't sure about is why... So in the beginning of the story, the Doctor and, and, and Ian and Barbara and that, they get to the city almost straight away. And yet it it takes nearly three episodes for them to get there in the second half. And I don't know what I missed. I must have missed something. Oh, I kept yeah. thinking, why, is, why, are they, why are they not going the direct route? Why are they going through swamps and climbing down cliffs? And, whereas before it seemed like they just walked straight to it. I don't know. Did I miss something? I think that's because um, they say that if they take the direct route to the Dalek city, they'll just be found out. They'll just get wiped out. Yeah, so they need to go all the way round <laughs> um, and go through the tradesman's entrance. Oh, I, I see. think yeah, that's okay. the deal, yeah. Right, okay, they, yeah. Yeah, they so can't just march down because the Daleks would just take them out, so they need to go incognito. Fair enough. I think it's the best way. But it does take them bloody ages. They camp out overnight at the swamp. One of them gets sucked into the vortex in the swamp water. Another one uh, is not a very good jumper at all. He um, uh, This scene that we're talking about, they make their way through the caves. Ian's leapt over the chasm. He's all good. The other dudes do that. And uh, yeah, one of them just prepares to do the old jump and doesn't Where's really make up? it. Doesn't no. Yeah, I think it's um, uh, Elion. I think it's the dude. Maybe. No, no, no. Elion's the one that gets sucked into the into the vortex. Uh, who's the dude? Uh, Antodus is the one that that doesn't make the jump. Oh. Yeah. He was a bit of a wimp anyway. He was like, "We should go back. We should go back. We're never going to win. Never going to win." So he yeah. uh, he comes to his untimely doom. But mind you, talking about that, the Doctor's pretty quick to want to get out of there. I mean, he's, you know, as I said, Hartnell's Doctor's very different to the Doctor we get, you know, today. He's um, he's all for just letting the souls get on with it. He's like, no, come on, let's go. <laughs> he's not, not one for sticking it. It's only because he's forced to stay and help yeah. um, that he does. Um, let's talk about but, Hartnell quickly. Sorry, what yes. are you going to say, mate? Sorry. No, just quickly, I was going to say, that's, it does lead on to a great scene. You know, William Russell is fantastic in that scene when they all want to leave. And he has to show the cells that they've got to stand up for themselves. And like you said, he kind of pushes the limit and gets a smack around the chops. But uh, <laughs> he is great in that scene. But yeah, yeah, let's get on to Hartnell because um, he's still, you know, this is only his second story as the Doctor. But for me, he's fantastic. And uh, one of the things I love about it is that A, he's so unpredictable. B, he can't fly the TARDIS, <laughs> which I love. Um <laughs> Because nowadays they can, you know, they can sort of do jump hops and they can pretty much use the TARDIS to get wherever they want. In these early days, the Doctor doesn't really know how to fly it. So it adds this really dangerous unpredictability. But it's brilliant because you just never know where they're going to end up. I mean, poor old Ian and Barbara, they're like, they're along for the ride because they just, (laughs) you can't get them home. Um, And I used to think it was a bit of a sort of continuity error, if you like. I used to think, well, how come... 
the doctor can control the TARDIS now when he never, never used to be able to. Um, but uh, Caroline Ford actually solved that for me in a brilliant way. I think talking on one of the big finish behind the scenes, she said, well, you know, if you think about it, he's just learnt to fly the TARDIS over time, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Like the more he's flown the TARDIS, the more he's got to know what each control does. And I love that. But I do think it adds a brilliant unpredictability in the early series of Doctor Who that they could just end up anywhere and Tyler was just going to go along with it, whatever. It's great, isn't it? I love yeah. that. I love that, that the yeah. Doctor thinks, because he's a little bit of a... Hunter Hartnell is great in this one. He shows a couple of sides to him. Mm. And one of those is confidence, even though he knows in himself that he had no idea. He doesn't know what he's doing with the TARDIS half the time. He's just... But he wants to come across like this authoritative figure, yeah. and confident in what he's doing so that he doesn't... Because Ian's got his number, I think, both Ian and Barbara. They they know. There's a couple of scenes where Ian's like, you old fool. <laughs> Look what you've done now. And they're not taking any nonsense from him. You know, They no. they know that he can't really fly it and all that they stuff. They've started to see beyond the mask now, haven't they? They've started to see that it's, he's, it's a bit of bravado yeah. on his part. Yeah. yeah, and I think later on in this story, Barbara says something like, are we ever going to get home? And Ian just yeah. sort of rolls his eyes like, I don't think so. You know, You know, this crazy old crazy old fool you know he doesn't know what he's doing but um so that's one side and then like we mentioned earlier he he has this real little cheeky streak about him there's two scenes in particular that are just fantastic for that and the first one is where they arrive at scarrow they're up on the mountain they've got the those cool little cyberpunk binocular glasses and they're looking over and they can see the dalek city and uh, the doctor's just amazed by it he's like we have to go and investigate you know immediately and that's kind of what sets up the story because he says to Susan, what does the dial say for radiation? And she's like, oh, it's all good. It's fine. As soon as she walks away, the dial starts to creep up and it's it's danger zone. And uh, mm. But anyway, the doctors, he just, yeah, what, I need to go and investigate what's going on down there. And the rest of them are having none of it. They're like, nope, we have this. It just sounds like a, it's like a Star Wars moment. I've got a bad feeling about this. It just looks terrible. All the trees are dead, dead planet. Let's just get out of here. Anyway, he makes up that story, doesn't he? Um, About the fluid link. The fluid link. Yeah, we need to get some more mercury. I'm sure they've got mercury down there. (laughs) Coincidentally, (laughs) they must have some. So he kind of tricks them in. But fair play to him later on. He does own up. He said, I only said that to get you locked down here Mm -hmm. to to investigate. And then there's another scene where he's really cheeky as well. I'm pretty sure it's either episode five or episode six. And I asked you this last week and it was really really weird and i can't i still cannot figure out whether it's intentional or not it's that cheeky little grin on his face when they've just got their plan redone and they're off to get something sorted out and he leans forward and i i'm not sure if it's intentional or if he accidentally looks directly into the camera and he says something like hmm something like things are things are coming into plan or things we shall see or something like that i can't remember exactly but he's got such a great expression on his face, like a little kid that's just been told they can go out to play and he's he's ready and he's off. But what do you think of that dude? Because he absolutely, 100% looks into the camera a couple of times when he's doing that. Now, is it accidental or is he intentionally breaking the fourth wall with this? I think Hartnell's intentionally breaking it. I think he, yeah, they're, they're not, they don't, Back in these sort of that times, they wouldn't have done any reshoots unless they really, really had to. So he's going to do whatever he wants, <laughs> you know, because they're, they're not going to reshoot it just because he's looked at the camera. I definitely think he's he's talking to the viewer. 
Um, and I think he was well aware of it. And, and I love it. I think uh, it's weird. It's the sort of thing that might bug me if it was anyone else doing it. But somehow Hartnell gets away with it because just, I just like him so much as, as the doctor. It's that, just that cheeky little moment of he's talking to me there, isn't he? He's talking to the viewer. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think he meant to do it. I don't think it's accidental at all. I don't I even know so. what the director thought of it, whether they were like, oh, he's just, oh, well, let him get on with it. Let him do his thing. Because he was quite a force to be reckoned with, I think, William Hartnell. I don't think he, you know, he did what he wanted to do. <laughs> well, that's the other thing as well. Um, once they've, after watching that back, mm-hmm. surely the director would have thought like, oh, I don't know. Do we leave the, Do we leave this in? Are we okay with this? Are we okay for him absolutely looking into the camera and saying this line? But we know, you know, not enough time and budget. Apart yeah. from going and redoing all of episode one, which was necessary, all those other little things. There's just no time and budget to go back and do reshoots and stuff. So I guess they were. It was either we just don't have it, we cut it out, um, or, or we're cool with it. Either way, it's it's a magical little scene. I love it. It's really cool. Yeah, it is that cheekiness, isn't it? And I, I think what's great about Hartnell's Doctor is that underneath all that sort of bravado, there is this really nice side to him. And there's lovely scenes between him and Barbara because Barbara's a really strong character and she stands up to Hartnell's Doctor all the time. And there's very often nice little scenes where he'll just take her to one side and apologise or he'll be really nice to her and say, you, you know, you did go, did well there. And, you know, just to <laughs> let her know that there's some lovely scenes between those two over the you know, over the stories uh, in this era. So, but yeah, that's what I love about Arnold is he can flick from one side to the other in, in a, in a flash and it works. It's not jarring at all. You know, he, he just plays it brilliantly. This sort of cantankerous, but actually quite lovable character and this yeah. unpredictable character as well. Yeah. I think he loves it as well. Do you remember, um, uh, I think it's episode, another really long one. I think it's, um, uh, is it episode seven of the Daleks master plan, the feast of Stephen? Oh yeah. yeah. We looks directly into the camera. Like, oh, and incidentally, happy Christmas to all of Merry you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's all of you at home. <laughs> yeah. so I think he loves that stuff, man. You can yeah. tell that he's loving the part already as well. Cause, um, you know, said very, it's only the second story. You can just tell he's really enjoying being the doctor, isn't he? Uh, I don't think he'd ever done anything quite like it. He just yeah. seems to have grabbed it with both lapels <laughs> quite literally. And he's, just going for it, isn't he? Even when he fluffs yeah. his lines, he, he calls Chesterton Chesterfield and something else throughout <laughs> the story. And I don't, I don't think it was intentional, but at one point uh, Ian picks him up on it. And I think they might've added that into the script to sort of allow for it. I don't know if it was like a running joke in rehearsals that he kept getting the name wrong <laughs> and they've just added it in the script. So what? Cause I'm pretty sure it's not intentional. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. And I think, what doesn't William Russell then they just include it in the script? He's like, My name's not Chesterfield. Yeah, I love that. He <laughs> bites his head off. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Chesterfield. Oh, what a guy, man. Hartnell is just it, he's such a quirky and I think this is a bit gushy and a bit cheesy, but we owe so much, man, to William Hartnell as the doctor because he was so quirky and so weird at times. And even though in a good way, I mean, and even though these little these little fluff lines and stuff like that, they all just add up to his little grab bag of tricks. And so when you look back on his era, it's got, it's got such a magical, beautiful feel to it because of, and can you imagine now if the doctor 
if he if William Hartnell wasn't like this, this quirky, crazy old sort of person, if it was more of a popular, good-looking young actor that was playing it more straight, can you imagine what Doctor Who would be like now? You know, mm. we wouldn't have these Matt Smith, zany, quirky type of people and, you know, that. So we owe so much to just those little quirkiness moments and those little weird moments from Hartnell. He's so good and he's really good in this. Very good. Yeah, yeah, he is good. The fluffs don't bother me at all, really. I mean, it's strange, isn't it? Because I think if you're watching Doctor Who now, if like Jodie Whittaker fluffed a line, you'd spot it straight away. You'd be like, oh, she, did, she fluffed a line there. But it wouldn't That's be in, funny. mate, would it? It wouldn't, it wouldn't even be in. No, they no. would have sorted it out there and then. You wouldn't even, unless it's but like a are... like a gag reel at the end or something. You'd see them then. Yeah, but, yeah. But the irony is, we do fluff our lines all the time. It's 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 weird, isn't it, that we take out imperfections that actually are. You know, we always we all do it mm. and yet in television everyone's word perfect yes. so it's strange really but it's, it's just something we've got used to but yeah Hartnell's fluffs don't bother me at all and they do bring something to zero I mean this whole team I think are, are great you know the Doctor Susan Barbara and Ian it's it's a it's quite a crowded TARDIS team but I love them I think they all work brilliantly and they work very well together in this story uh, even Susan gets some, some good moments because I think in other stories she quite often is the one that the writers found difficult to write and she doesn't really get a lot to do other than fall over and twist her ankle. But in this one, she's like, you know, she gets to write the note for the Daleks and she gets some good scenes like that with the Souls and, you know, all the team really are, are, are great in this. I, I absolutely love this TARDIS team. I really do. I find all of them great to watch. Barbara and Ian are brilliant together. You know, they are yeah. they're just superb. Yeah. Do you know what, for me, the, the best person in this whole story for me is Ian. Ian? Yeah, he's yeah. great. This is the, uh... He's so He has loads to do as well. There are even quite a few scenes where the Doctor's in the background. There's a couple of scenes where the Doctor's knackered. He's sat down on a bench behind Ian and Barbara as they're having a chat. He's just sweating away, like trying to yeah. get his breath. And Ian's the star of the scene, and he's coming up with a plan to a degree, and he's, he's the guy who's got the... He's, they rely on him to provide a bit of action to the TARDIS team, even though Barbara gets her hands dirty now and then, and Susan yeah. to a degree. But Ian's the one that's inside the Dalek. He's the one that's charging through the caves, making the jumps. He's the one that gets paralysed. He's the one that gets the right-hander uh, yes. from the Thals and stuff. So for me, and he plays it so well. So even though Hartnell's amazing in it, um, William Russell is up there for on this in this particular story he's just fantastic in this one he's he's my favorite character in this one and yeah like like you said susan there's that one scene where she has to go back to the tardis to get the to get the gloves <laughs> and uh, she bumps into the fowls and and all that stuff other than that she doesn't really do much mate for the rest of it does she no i suppose not no no she doesn't really get a lot to do she's cool though <laughs> She gets to fall over a cape at the end. I, I do like the last scene because everything, <laughs> everything gets wrapped up yeah. and then you get quite a prolonged goodbye between the Doctor and the Siles. And I, I thought it was really sweet. I was like, oh, this is lovely. You know, saying goodbye and there's a little moment between Barbara and the Sal and Susan's got her cape that she's been given. Oh, this is lovely stuff. And the Doctor's uh, looking at some contraption, giving some advice. And I thought it was great. Um, but then I read in the production notes, it's, they're really trying to pad out the ending because the episode was really underrunning. And once I read that, I did notice things like, you know, the doctor goes to leave and then says, Oh, hang on. I've forgotten my, I've forgotten my kit. Haven't I? And he comes back and uh, well, I'll take this then. And then he 
shake someone's hand and that you can tell actually when you know that, that they're really trying to pad the scene out <laughs> but but it works quite well i thought it was a really nice little end scene uh, between the styles and the tardis team at the end no i agree dude yeah it was a nice little scene yeah yeah it does wrap and it up quite nicely we, yeah yeah i was gonna say then of course we get them in the tardis set which is miraculously shrunk <laughs> <laughs> like you can tell that they've just set it up quickly to film that last scene because in the beginning wow the tardis set's um, huge, isn't it? We've got Susan goes behind a glass panel to check some dials and readings, and we've got the TARDIS food machine, and the console room looks huge. It's the TARDIS is uh, immense in the Heartland era sometimes, but then at the end they go in and it's kind of two flat walls and the console shoved in the corner. And right, say goodbye, and then we're going to shuffle because the, the TARDIS is going <laughs> to go haywire, and then we're going to cut. And uh, it, yeah, it's just amazing. How- how small it looks at the end of this scene for that quick shot. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Because in the opening scene, it looks pretty sweet. Oh, I love nice it. Nice and broomy. I love, I love, and, yeah. Yeah. What a classic set, though. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. It changes all the time, though, doesn't it? Every story, <laughs> it looks a bit different. Like, what bit of the TARDIS do we need this week? Oh, let's have that wall. Yeah. <laughs> let's have that scanner. Get that scanner up. Do we need that big thing for the ceiling? No, we don't need that big lampshade <laughs> thing, though. No, get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> Modular design, dude. Adaptable. Adaptable, yeah. Time Lord Tech. Yeah. Mm. All right, dude. If you've got anything else on your notes, we'll move to scores. Yeah, no, I've got nothing else. I'm good, though. Right, cool. I think it is you to go first. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go with an 8 out of 10. Um, I think it's a good story. And I'm only really knocking off the cover points for episodes um five and six because they really are pure padding there's no way around it i mean even though the rest of the story is very strong and really good um and i think it is iconic as well mm-hmm. you know first first appearance of the daleks and uh, they're really good in it as well so yeah eight out of ten cool cool okay i'm gonna give it a slightly higher score and go with 8.5 for me okay very similar to you i've knocked off a couple of points because of the padding issue and the yeah. just longing out those um, episodes five and six it just seems to take forever to get to the conclusion from that point but otherwise it's a really really good story i love the fact that we this is the original formula for the show and they lean on this a lot and it's great and i've given it an extra 0.5 just for ian just for william russell's performance mm-hmm. he's so good he's so great. yeah so an 8.5 for me and eight from him right mm-hmm. what did our awesome listeners think uh, let's kick off with our regular review from down under this is sammy Satin. Hey Gary and Adam, Sammy Satine here. So, the Daleks, the second ever Doctor Who story ever made. The depth us Doctor Who fans owe this story is huge. I love the first Doctor. I particularly love his interactions with Susan. It's good to see him using his brain to save people, even if I suspect he did remove the mercury from the fluid link as an excuse to explore the city. Cheeky. Ian, Barbara and Susan get stuff to do. It's always good to see Barbara and Susan getting involved more. That cliffhanger at the end of episode one, I bet everyone in 1963 was like, what's that? The Daleks are good. They are able to be seen as intelligent creatures who plan rather than just exterminate. I like the Thals too. I give it eight radiation drugs out of ten. See ya. An eight from Sammy. And that's right. And Sammy makes a good point about them using their brains. I, I forgot to say that because that is something else I loved about the story is that they think they use their intelligence to get out of the cell rather than the doctor, you know, just whipping out the sonic and opening the door. You know, so, yeah, True. Uh, they yeah. do use their brains and work together. Mm. 
Yeah, true. That's a good point. Yeah, nice one, Sammy. And eight, so we do owe a huge debt to this episode for sure. So yeah, nice mm. one. Moving on, this is Mr. Neil Campbell. What about you fellas? How's it going? So right back to the grand old year of 1963 and what a year it was. So the Daleks, arguably the most pivotal story in Doctor Who history as the creation of the Daleks fired Doctor Who into the stratosphere. The story itself, it does drag a bit. I think it's a wee bit too long, but there are so many memorable moments from it that they've went down in Doctor Who folklore. Barbara being approached by, you know, the arm and nobody knew what it was. And then the scream, Ian being fired upon and he couldn't walk. And he's screaming, my legs, I can't feel my legs. And then obviously the city of Scarrow itself was amazing and it was great to see in the Peter Capaldi era. You know, they stayed true to that. Back then, nobody really knew about the Doctor. Was he a good guy? Was he a bad guy? You know, his behaviour was very erratic, eccentric, stubborn. And you didn't really know what you were going to get with William Hartnell because he was very cranky and stuff. So, um, but all in, you know, for its cultural impact, you know, kids running around the streets shouting exterminate, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. And on top of that, does anybody remember the classic VHS covers? One was like a, a turquoise teal dark blue colour and the other one was like a copper slash brown colour. Brilliant. Show me age. But anyway, thanks, guys. <laughs> I've got those VHS covers somewhere. Still got them. Uh, yeah, one of I think the expedition was that kind of rusty brown colour, mm. if memory serves correctly. And one of them was a silvery colour. What a trip down memory lane. Crikey. But yeah, uh, yeah, you make a good point as well. Um, because this was so early on in the Doctor's run, we knew nothing about That was the charm and the greatness of the show at the time. But we knew nothing about the Doctor as a character. Was he a goodie? Was he a baddie? We didn't know. Mm. We kind of assumed he was a goodie, but yeah, you never know. But we never know. Yeah, good stuff. Very much. Thank you very much, Neil. Moving on. This is TARDISNet sixty six. The Daleks is a story I love, and easily one of my most rewatched Dalek stories. I love the first episode of the Doctor and companions wandering around the abandoned Dalek city, and a cliffhanger to episode one is terrifying. The story puts the characters at proper stakes. The Daleks have a very sensitive presence in this story. Very cunning and fittingly mirror the Nazis and their motives and mentality and design, and keeping a threat from less than 20 years earlier alive. And with the Daleks having to retreat into these tank like machines because of a nuclear war, it mirrors the threat of the time with the fear of mutually assured destruction during the Cold War. I think, unfortunately, what does let it down is its length. The story is needlessly dragged out towards the end, and they could have cut it down by at least one episode. We really didn't need an entire episode dedicated to getting into the Dalek City. It feels like a pointless obstacle course and doesn't really add anything to the story. I'd give it an 8.5 out of 10. 8.5 as well. 8.5, yeah, and uh, agreeing about the episodes, uh, yeah. Don't really add a lot, got to be honest. Yeah, that's nah, a common thing, man. Yeah, you don't really see the point of all that stuff in those episodes, but no. nevertheless, decent score from TARDIS at 8.5. Thank you very much, dude. And lastly, this is Mr. Joe Turner. Dalek is a fantastic way to introduce the Daleks. I found it to be a couple of episodes too long, as it was slow in a few places. However, I love seeing the Daleks as strategists and being described as scientists who built the great city on Skaro. It makes them so much more interesting. It's not something we see much in the modern era, as now they are more aggressive and insane. Also, I thought that Ian was fantastic in this story, as he was given a lot to do and delivered. 
Furthermore, the episode addresses issues in society like indifference and gender stereotype, trying to convey a positive message via sci-fi. Furthermore, the directing was fabulous, as some of the angles of the Daleks made them really menacing, and the chemistry of Ian, Barbara, Susan and the Doc grew throughout the episode, from the tension with Ian at the start, to them working together with the Thouts to defeat the Daleks towards the end. The cliffhangers were great, especially the one with the claw alluding to something being inside a Dalek, and honestly, if it wasn't for that blooming fluid link, none of it would have happened. So overall, I give this episode a 7.5 out of 10. Thank you. That blimmin' fluid link. Yeah, that fluid link. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the last time the Doctor ever played a prank like that. <laughs> and yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe, as well. The chemistry develops really nicely between not just the Doctor and the companions, but the Doctor, those guys, and the Thals as well. That's a really cool. So Terry Nation, he did, he did a, a really good job, dude, with the, with the script with this one. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yo, thank you very much to our audio reviewers. Much appreciated, as always. Over on the socials, we're going to rattle through a few of these because we had loads on Twitter, but Chippy T says, iconic episodes. To paraphrase War of the Worlds, no one would have believed in the early years of Doctor Who. It's very true. Uh, and this run of stories will be so important. Uh, 60 years later, it's brilliant. A 10 from me. 10 out of 10. Cool. 10, okay. Davros, a template episode for all that followed. Iconic imagery that lasts to this day. Uh, the impact of seeing this when it aired must have been immense. Episode 1, cliffhanger, the claw reveal, and the Daleks are more than just robots. All great moments. A 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Cool. Nine. Zombie Who. Obviously, this story is iconic and introduced the most important villain in Doctor Who's history. However, the episodes do drag on a bit longer than it should, and it feels very slow. So with maybe two less episodes, it would have been much better. A six out of ten. The Lost on Gallifrey podcast. Those dudes. Uh, the story is great, and it's where it started. Uh, it's, there's a beautifully alien, dangerous atmosphere that drips off every episode. Somehow feels nostalgic, although I was born well after its time. Uh, the Daleks are true, truly otherworldly, and the TARDIS crew instantly familiar. Nine out of ten. Nice. Our writer Jordan says, a good story that's rightfully become iconic. It's a little long at seven parts, um, yes, but it lays the groundwork for all the episodes to come afterwards. The Daleks are in- instantly interesting, and without them we wouldn't have the show now. And the main cast are brilliant too. Uh, Cameron Gibbon, Cameron Gribbons says a fun and interesting story. It was great to see early versions of both the Daleks and the Doctor, given how much they will evolve in years to come. The TARDIS team are great in this, particularly Ian. And after a great start, I was left a bit disappointed with the ending, but a seven out of oh, ten. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, D.W. Seb, a good story which stands a test of time. It may be an episode too long, but it establishes the formula for the Daleks and makes it a very enjoyable watch. The main cast are on top form, and overall it's a lovely must-watch 60s story for any Whovian. Very true. Yeah. Edward Galuli, the first couple of episodes are great, but it sags in the middle and it's too long, 6.5. Mm-hmm. Nick H, both brilliant and a bit rubbish at the same time. <laughs> Two eps too long, but set the standard for Doctor Who. And without the Daleks, I doubt we would all be here today talking about Doctor Who. And gives an 8 out of 10. Cool. Uh, Titan Sci-Fi. Tom says, super duper introduction to the Daleks and a great story, 7.5. Morgan McCandless, our good friend Morgan, says, way better than I remember. It has all that lovely 60s charm and still the Daleks can be absolutely terrifying. Love the world building and the hints at how the Daleks came to be. My only gripe is it could have been one part shorter. Eight drugged Daleks out of 10. (laughs) And he put a really cool gif of the Dalek just spinning round. 
uh, going a bit insane. And lastly, Sarah Louise, a running Hoovian, says, an enjoyable story that is well made with attention to detail and great performances. The nerve-wracking jump scene was very convincing, and even the dated special effects have a certain charm. I enjoy the Doctor's confidence and love that he appears to break the fourth wall in part six. An eight out of ten. Another eight, cool. Thank you, Twitter followers. Over on Facebook, we had a few there. Kevin Mullen says, truly iconic. It's easy for us in the 21st century to take the Daleks for granted. But can you imagine sitting down on the sofa in 1963 and experiencing them for the first time? An incredible concept, even if it is a retelling of the time machine, but elevated by a design that would become part of the English zeitgeist. Uh, Seven episodes is a bit long, uh, but I'm going to mark it down for that. But I'm not going to mark it down for that. Uh, And then he gives it... um, 123,733,627,302,000 Nazi space squids. <laughs> Nazi space squids, love it. Uh, thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, Toby Coleman, true icon. The first two or three episodes are fantastic, but after that it starts to drag. The Daleks, despite having a lot of things later, um, versions of they would brush over are amazing and would definitely have the kids behind the sofa. Gives it seven pepper pots of death. Uh, joseph howarth i wish i could say it was a great story but it wasn't joseph Uh, however it wasn't terrible either if anything it was quite a long slog to get through being seven parts Uh, it was really boring and i tried so many times to say focus but it really is that boring goes on to give it a six out of ten oh dear okay Mm. Uh, andrew stewart says i'm only at part four the escape but i'm loving it so far Uh, the daleks and hartnell um uh, Hartnell is brilliant in the scenes he's in. Uh, he's just has this amazing screen presence and so far only fluffed his lines twice. Mistaking Chesterfield instead of Chesterton. <laughs> but he is absolutely amazing. Uh, he, this is quite a long review, but he goes on to give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, and the same for Charlie. Seven uploads, ep- episodes long. This is the perfect start for the Daleks. I really like the story. And from what we can watch of Hartnell today, this is my personal favourite. And Charlie goes on to give it a 10 out of 10. Wow, 10. Yeah. So... Obviously, the reviews over on our Facebook page end up being quite long um, because there's no character limit and stuff like that. So if you guys want to read the full reviews from from these guys, just head over to the Facebook page. There's a link on the website to do that. But overall, dude, some fairly decent scores. We had a couple of tens even. And uh, I think the average score is about an eight, eight and a half. Which is, yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Something made in 1963. Yeah, that's pretty good going. Yeah. Yeah. Right, dude, next week. We're starting off a, a month-long review of a certain doctor next week. Yes, Gary, set the TARDIS controls for eSpace <laughs> as, we, as we have a full month of Tom Baker's fourth doctor coming up. And uh, we are going to be starting that with full circle. So, yeah, grab your season 18 box sets if you've got them and, uh, or whatever, wherever you watch your Doctor Who because uh, we'll be reviewing full circle. Yeah. The eSpace trilogy, no less. Now, now, that's Adric's first story, isn't it? It is indeed. We haven't seen Adric in a while, have we? We haven't done a story with Adric, yeah. Last seen kicking a a glittery robot to death. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. And Full Circle, the story that came out the year I was born, in fact. Is it really? 1980, showing the age there. Wow. Rightio, dude. I think we are going to wrap there for episode 304. All righty. Yeah. 
thank you thank you thank you for coming back and listening to another week of the big blue box podcast it's been great to have you all here as always thank you very much if you are new to the show if you've just discovered us then welcome aboard the TARDIS it's great to have you those of you that have been with us for ages and have listened to us for many years the grizzled ancients welcome back as well it's good to have you all here uh, thank you very much for all your reviews for the Daleks those of you that have sent in audio clips Sammy, Neil, TARDISnet and Joe thank you very much for your time to do that and you dudes over on the socials as well very much appreciated we love hearing what you guys think about our review stories next week as Adam said we're over to the Tom Baker era as we kick off the eSpace trilogy with Full Circle so get your DVDs out for that or fire up BritBox we'll be asking for your thoughts and reviews as always on that story and also, just a reminder, Catherine Tate is not coming back to Doctor Who. Oh. We don't want to see loads of tweets about that stuff. I know it's a bit of a shame, but yeah. Oh. No Catherine Tate. <laughs> but we have got the Bish coming up, though. Old John the Bish. He's coming. Bish. So, yeah. That's going to be cool. Anyway, until next week, remember to follow us on whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on you can listen to free for free on all of those things apple podcasts free. spotify all of those things we'd love to have you as a follower so that you won't miss a show when it lands in your podcast inboxes every friday and if you have a minute to review our, our show if you like our show and if you've got a minute to leave a review or a rating that would be awesome i know you can do that on apple podcasts but anything like Podchaser, stitcher any of those things where you can leave reviews that would be amazing because that really helps us out lots and lots uh, remember to check out the website www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk you can listen to all of our episodes on there plus check out all of our cool uh, reviews and articles from the writing team maria jordan and mark some very cool stuff over there we're on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook come and follow us over there we chat doctor who throughout the week and we also have a free discord server there's a link on the website come and register over there it's free and hang out and chat doctor who also, remember to check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is indeed The Geek's, the Handbag. Geeks Handbag. Yeah. Some amazing stuff from Adam there. Go and check it out. He's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Until next week, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember, it's, it's 